Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. The Bible is the single most important book in history. It is the very words of God put on paper. In this podcast, we will walk through the pages of His Word as we seek to understand His message to us. In Isaiah 55:11, God says, My word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper where I send it. As we study His Word, He will accomplish within us what He desires. That is our prayer. That is the journey. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. I firmly believe that as we study the Word of God, the Holy Spirit does a work within our hearts to change us and to mold us into His image. And that's why this is so important to me to teach through the Bible and to study through Scripture. And I'm so glad that you're on this journey with me. What is the first word that comes to your mind or the first thought that comes to your mind when you hear the word peace? While you think about that, I just want to invite you to share this on your social media channels, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, uh, whatever platform you use and whatever uh, podcast provider you are listening to this on. Uh, go ahead and take a moment and rate, uh, rate this and, and share, it with, share it with your friends because, again, I firmly believe that as God's word goes out, he does accomplish his purpose uh, within us. We are almost through the Beatitudes. We are in the next last Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. I just want to start off by reading the Beatitudes that's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 2 through 11. And this is speaking of Jesus here in verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, and others revalue and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so we are on, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now I ask you that question, what comes to your mind when you hear the word peace? For some, it may be sitting in the woods right before dawn. This is for me one of my most peaceful moments. I, I love uh, love hunting. I don't get a, really a chance to do it out here in Arizona, but in Pennsylvania I, I, I loved going every year. And one of my favorite times was right before dawn, the woods just became so still and so silent and it was so peaceful and I just uh, one of my favorite moments that's what comes to my mind when I hear peace for others it may be sitting by a mountain crowned lake or sitting by the pool with a good book for some it may be standing in a trout stream with your pole in the water others it may be the beach at sunrise whatever comes to your mind when you hear the word peace I, I'm pretty sure there are some things in common we think of quiet we think of stillness. We think of tranquility. And so it would be easy to assume that this is what Jesus is speaking of when we read here in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the quiet makers, right? Blessed are the stillmakers, the tran- tranquil people. 
Peace is one of those words that upon first glance, it does sound simple and, and, and perhaps even single faceted. But in reality, it is towering with depth and fullness. And so to help us grasp what this peace is here in Matthew, we're going to look at the Old Testament word for peace, which is a direct word for word with the Greek word used here, uh, which is the Greek word is irene. The Old Testament word is shalom. And when we, when we look at the Old Testament word shalom, we're, we're going to get a, just a small glimpse here today of, of how deep uh, this, this word really is. Uh, shalom was used for, for many reasons. It's the word that is translated peace. It's also translated uh, numerous ways throughout the Old Testament. And we'll, we'll talk about some of those. Um, but shalom was used in greeting as a desire or an inquiry or, or a prayer of well-being. Uh, this could be well-being of health, of safety, of, of happiness, or of success. Now, all, all those examples are seen throughout Scripture. Uh, it's very similar to how we ask you know, when, we, when we greet someone, well, how are you doing? Um, although I'm, I'm sure it was probably a little bit more sincere than, than, than how we sometimes ask that question, right? Sometimes we're not really expecting a, an answer to that. How are you, right? Uh, shalom was, was used in the same way, um, but, but I'm sure with a little bit more sincerity than, than the how are you of, of today. And we, we can see some of this like Genesis 37, 14. Uh, Jacob is sending Joseph to his brothers to uh, see if it is well with them is, is how the, the scriptures put it. And that, that it is well with them. Um, is the word shalom to see if it is well to see if uh, if they are shalom esther 2 and 11 uh, tell, tells about mordecai um, who was uh, esther uh, related to esther uh, he would walk by the palace to learn how esther was again we we see that term uh, shalom he was looking upon or he was watching after her her well-being her physical well-being and that that word shalom is is used there second kings 5 uh, 21 a man by the name, name of Gehazi, uh, who was a servant of Elisha, was uh, chased after Naaman. And upon meeting, he asked this question, is all well, which uh, is the term shalom. So there's this, we, we, we see these examples of, of this well-being uh, used as, as shalom. Shalom was also used to describe the search or the working towards or the pursuit of, of justice. We see that throughout the Old Testament as well. There's going to be a great, great example towards the end of this um, this this podcast of, of that aspect of of peacemaking um, but ultimately what all the different facets that we could talk about shalom really to get down to the bottom of it shalom was a description of wholeness it's really a description of wholeness wholeness in oneself or wholeness between two people or wholeness in one's community or even between a plurality of nations. And so this word shalom, this word that we, we uh, see translated quite often throughout the Old Testament as peace, this word shalom, uh, it's, it's really this idea of wholeness. Now, what does it mean to be whole? Shalom is the word that describes the state we are in. When we were whole. Now, if you if you hearken back to the intro to the Beatitudes, we we spent some time on the word blessed and how that word makarios, we, right? Blessed really carries this this sense of material gain or or something that we're receiving. Uh, but the word makarios, the word blessed, really uh, kind of gives this idea, the sense of we are flourishing in the state. The, the, the same concept is here with, with shalom. Shalom is not really uh, conveying an idea of something being given. It is really conveying the, uh, the state we are in because of our wholeness. 
this, this shalom, this peace is describing a state that we are in because we are whole, whether that's wholeness in oneself between two people in the community or whatever, whatever the context uh, may be. Uh, shalom is the word that describes the state we are in when we are whole. Now, I remember watching uh, Bob Ross. Some of you uh, may, may remember watching him. Uh, I still do sometimes. He's on uh, several of the streaming service, services that I, uh, I subscribe to. Now, in every episode, there comes a moment at the end where he has brushed the last stroke. He's laid aside the brush and stepped back to look at the painting that was now finished. And in that moment, he as the artist was satisfied in its completeness. Now, that state in that moment of completeness, that is the idea behind this word shalom. Or if you've ever put together a puzzle, it's that, that feeling that comes when you, when you put that final piece in after however many hours um, it took you to put together that 10-piece puzzle. And I'm, just, I'm just kidding. It, hopefully it took you a little less than that if it's a 10-piece puzzle, right? But if you've ever put together a puzzle, that feeling that comes when you put the final piece in, that state of completeness, that's shalom. You see, when we are whole, we don't have the angst that comes with looking for something that we don't have. We don't have the anxiety that comes with needing something that we don't have. We don't have the conflict that comes from trying to get from someone or something else what we feel desirous of. This wholeness is what David was talking about in Psalm 23. Very, very familiar passage uh, for many of us. But Psalms 23, I want to read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now this is a great description of peace. And it really is a great description of wholeness. Which again, this is the idea that this shalom is trying to convey. This, this description of, of a person who is in a state of wholeness. Right, David says, I can rest. I can lie down because God is in control. He has given me all that I need. He is with me to the point that even in the valley of the shadow of death, even in the presence of my enemies, I am whole. I can rest. I am at peace. And this presents to us one of these central foundational principles to us understanding peace. You see, sometimes we think peace is the absence of something, right? Peace could be the absence of anxiety or the absence of conflict, but rather we, we, we don't, we don't see peace like that. We, we rather scripturally see peace in the middle of these things. You see, peace is not the absent absence of, uh, for lack of better words, in an unpeaceful environment or context. It is not, I am not at peace because I don't have the opportunity to not be at peace, right? But I am at peace in the midst of those opportunities. And this is where it's so easy to misunderstand what peace is. I'm not at peace because there is no conflict. I'm at peace in the middle of the conflict. 
I am not at peace because I am devoid of any opportunity to be anxious, but I am at peace in the midst of these opportunities. I am not at peace because all division around me has suddenly ceased, but I am at peace in spite of the division encompassing me. Right? How does that change our understanding of peace? How does that change our prayers for peace? How, how does that change our reality of peace when we understand that peace is not the absence of, but peace is in the midst of? I can be whole in the midst of conflict. I can be whole in the midst of opportunities to be anxious. I can be whole in the midst of division all around me. It is not require the removal of opportunities but i can be peaceful in the middle of the opportunities and to help us further understand this idea of what peace really is it can potentially be helpful to look at peace versus something understanding what peace is in respect to what is it what it is contrasted against we can see peace versus anxiety and peace versus anxiety, what, what does wholeness look like in that context? Does it require the removal of the opportunity to be anxious? It does not. But the wholeness in that context looks like a calmness. There is a calmness in the midst of these opportunities that makes me whole. Right? Jesus' discourse in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34, we're not going to read the whole thing. Um, you can look it up there, but Jesus is just talking about how we don't have to be anxious about tomorrow. We don't have to be anxious about what we're wearing. We don't have to be anxious about where we're going to uh, find sustenance. Right? Don't, don't be anxious in lack of wholeness. Don't be anxious about what you're going to wear, about what you're going to eat, how you're going to receive sustenance. But we can rest. We can be whole in the knowledge that our Father brings us wholeness. Our Father brings us everything that we need. So in the midst of these opportunities to be anxious, my response is one of rest and quietness and peace because I am whole in my Father. And in this wholeness, I find calmness. So we can see peace is is calmness in this sense. We can see that there is there's this idea or this contrast set up between peace versus enmity. We we, we see this idea of of respect. I, I I have an opportunity to be offended or to be or to hate my neighbor because of one thing or another. But no, I'm I'm going to choose peace. I'm going to choose wholeness. I'm going to choose respect. Peace in that moment looks like respect. There's also peace versus division. And in these moments, the peace, the wholeness that we have in Christ looks like unity. Right? Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And in this context, it's speaking of the hostility that was between the Jew and the Gentile and how, how Christ, because of what he, he did on the cross, he, he, took, he took away that wall of hostility. And through the hostility, or, or rather through his sacrifice, he removed the hostility and brought unity. And in that context, that's what peace, that's what wholeness looked like. I like to go back to Act, Acts chapter 2. I think one of the overlooked miracles in all of Scripture is Acts 2.1. 
uh, particularly from myself as a, as a Pentecostal, uh, Pentecostal background and, and Pentecostal in theology. We, we, we love Acts chapter 2 for what we see the Holy Spirit do in, uh, in and through uh, the, the disciples and the other people who are in the upper room. But it's so easy to overlook the miracle of Acts 2.1 where they were all in one accord. They were in perfect unity. They were together in one room, 120 people, and they were in perfect unity. That is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. And that and that is a an example of wholeness. That is an example of peace. Right? Peace can also be contrasted against harm. First Samuel twenty and seven. David and Jonathan they're talking about approaching King Saul. King Saul right at this moment he wants to kill David and. He's not sure if it's safe, so he and Jonathan uh, c- come up with a plan that, hey, you know, Jonathan, you're going to go to the king, and, and if everything's okay, if I can approach, you're going to let me know, or if I need to run away, you're, you're going to let me know as well. Um, and so Jonathan says, if he says good, it will be well. That's the word shalom with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. So we see this wellness, this shalom contrasted with, with this harm that was determined by, by King Saul. Jeremiah 29, 11. Here's a passage that is, is quoted everywhere, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, that's the word shalom, and not for evil, the word for harm, to give you a future and a hope, right? Again, so here we see this contrast between the shalom, the wholeness, versus the harm. My plans for you, declares the Lord, are for wholeness, for welfare, for peace, for the shalom, not for harm. Mark 5.34, Jesus uh, is is speaking to someone who he just healed. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And so we see that God is interested in our restoration to wholeness. This peace versus harm, we see that what peace looks like in those contexts, the wholeness looks like restoration. God is concerned about our restoration. We see peace versus incompleteness. In that context, peace looks like wholeness, which is really the whole kind of whole whole context of what we're talking about. Peace versus conflict. Right? Peace versus conflict. What does what does peace look like in that moment? Does it look like the removal of the conflict? Not necessarily, but it does look like harmony. John sixteen thirty three says this I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Right? It's so easy to, to desire or to think that peace looks like the removal or the absence of these opportunities to not be at peace. But that's the beauty of the peace that Christ gives. The beauty of the peace that Christ gives is that it doesn't matter what my circumstances are. My peace is not determined by my context. My peace is not determined by my situation. My peace is not determined by what's going on around me because my peace, my wholeness is found in my father. My wholeness, my peace is found in Jesus who so wonderfully trumps everything else that can be happening in my life. So it doesn't always looks like look like the removal of those opportunities, but it is rather it's so much stronger than that. I can have peace in the middle of these opportunities that I have to not be at peace. And so we we understand a little bit more hopefully what peace is. 
And so we see Jesus here saying blessed or flourishing. You are flourishing when you are a peacemaker. These peacemakers are in a state of flourishing. Right, so what, what is a peacemaker? Well, first, I, I want to point out that a peacemaker insinuates activity. Right, a peacemaker insinuates activity. It, it, it's, a very, it's an active word. It's, it's not a passive thing. It is something that I am intentionally going after. I'm intentionally trying to make peace. I'm intentionally going after peace, after this wholeness. The, the Greek word for peacemaker, and I am not going to try to pronounce it because I would butcher it if I tried, but I love when you look at the, the, the Greek word, it's, it literally means one whose very nature is peace or this a lover of peace. That's where this word peacemaker comes from. This nature is a byproduct of our relationship with Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. In Ephesians 4, Paul says this, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we see this peace making being an active uh, be, being very active. Romans fourteen nineteen. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That's, I love that word, mutual upbuilding. It's really this idea of a pursuit of wholeness, which is really what this peace is all about. This peacemaking, it, it's an activity, it's, but it's important to understand that it is a community activity. Or, or perhaps it may be best to say it this way. Peacemaking is a community-making activity. Now, this idea of community is prevalent throughout the Sermon on the Mount. That's actually one of, one of the most famous books on the Sermon on the Mount, The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That's, that's his, whole, kind of his, whole, uh, his whole perspective on it is that the Sermon on the Mount is very much a community message. Right, the very principle that the sermon is an expression or a description of the kingdom of God embraces the actuality that a kingdom is a community, not simply a group of individuals. You see, when Jesus said, blessed are these people, he's speaking to a community, not simply to us as individuals. We can look forward into the sermon and we see that a vast majority of its content is community-based. Right, we see this, the light and salt passage immediately following the Beatitudes. And this is enlightening the desired community relationship that we should have with those outside of the kingdom. Right? What's the relationship we should have with that kind of community? Well, one of salt and light. Then as we go along deeper into the sermon, there's discussion on the community of friendship, the community of companionship, of spousal relationships, and even how we as community relate to God as community. Uh, throughout the Lord's Prayer. If you read the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who is in heaven, forgive us our trespasses. Give us our daily bread, right? It's very, very much community, uh, very much community language. Community, you see, is not optional within God's kingdom. Thus, it is not optional for us. Hence, we are to be peacemakers. What does that look like? Well, to be peacemakers, it's restoring relationships, bringing wholeness to those around us, pursuing justice for the injured, forging unity in the fires of division, maintaining calm when the circumstances demand anxiety. We produce peace because we possess peace. That is, we possess the fullness of Christ who is himself peace. Now, as we exhibit the peace that we have found, we lead others to the fullness of the Savior, Savior disseminating peace and creating a community of peace and the community that is whole. 
And I love Jesus' promise here. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Sons of God. What, what is he saying? Well, we serve a God who is a God of peace. We serve a God who brings peace, who not only brings peace, but who is himself peace. And so we have to found our peace upon the Prince of Peace. Because that's where peace comes from. It's something that comes out of a relationship with Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. Philippians 4, 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, that's what the, and that, that's why I want to go, I want to go back to the, the fact that my peace is not dependent upon my circumstances. My peace is, is not dependent upon my context. Peace is not the removal of opportunities to be anxious or, 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 or not at peace, but peace is peace in the midst of those circumstances, right? Right. The peace of God, it surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense how I can be at peace in the middle of conflict. It doesn't make sense how I can be calm in the midst of all these uh, anxious moments around me. It doesn't make sense how I can be unified with people who think so differently than I. It doesn't make sense that, that I can be whole in a world around me that is, that is, that is not, that is searching for wholeness. I have the wholeness, right? But it doesn't make sense, but that's why it's the peace of God, not the peace of man. And this peace is going to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. There is a wholeness to that. Right? Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and to be thankful. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs. This is a prophecy looking forward to what Christ is going to do, right? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Upon him was the chastisement. That brought us peace. Look how look how this is contrasted, right? He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. He was smitten by God. He was afflicted. He was pierced. He was crushed so that we could have peace. All of this certainly not peaceful things that Jesus went through was, was, was done to bring us peace, to bring us wholeness, to bring us this completeness. When we are peacemakers, we are being just like our Father. We flourish as peacemakers, and thus we'll be called sons of God. Right? The Son takes on the qualities of His Father. I, I, I am one of those who can so gratefully, and, and I'm so grateful that I can be proud of those moments where, where people say, Hey, you remind me of your dad. I'm so glad that I can, I can be, be that person, right? But that, that is what we're looking for uh, with, with, with our relationship with God. We, we want to go out into the world and, and, and we want to be peacemakers because that is what's going to remind or, or, or kind of point people that God is our Father because God is a God of peace. God is a God of wholeness. The following story is from ESPN.com writer Katie Barnes. And some of you may be familiar with this story, uh, but I just wanted to share it with you. I got it... Um, for, again, from an article from ESPN.com 
a writer, Katie Barnes. But it speaks of, uh, she speaks of in this article about Maya Moore. Now, Maya Moore uh, is a four-time WNBA champion, a league, MV- a league MVP, a 2011 WNBA Rookie of the Year, a six-time WNBA All-Star, five-time WNBA First Team Selection, a two-time Olympic gold medalist, among many other accolades throughout her her career. Some of you may remember uh, her from her time at, at, at UConn in, in college and going to four straight Final Fours, winning two national championships, right? She, she is a very accomplished basketball player. And on February 5th, 2019, she announced to the surprise of the sports world, she was stepping away from professional basketball to focus on family and ministry dreams. And I quote here, ministry dreams that have been stirring in my heart for many years, end quote. The ministry opportunity she was speaking of was the pursuit of justice for an incarcerated man named Jonathan Irons. Jonathan Irons was accused, convicted, and sentenced to prison for 50 years for burglary and assault with a deadly weapon. This being without any physical or DNA evidence that he was at the scene of the crime. Now, I've watched enough forensic files, right, to know uh, (laughs) that that's probably not a good thing. And that certainly is the case in, in Jonathan Irons' story. After Jonathan spent over 20 years in prison, he was freed mid-2020 after Maya Moore, this basketball player, and her fellow workers of justice presented evidence to the court that the original prosecutors of the case suppressed and misrepresented evidence. Maya Moore stepped away from professional basketball to work towards justice for this man, Jonathan Irons. And in late 2020, Maya and Jonathan got married. That's a peacemaker, right? That's, that's, that's a peacemaker. That's one who's going out and, and making wholeness in her world. Maya Moore is a very, uh, very vocal uh, Christian. She's very Christian. She's very vocal in her faith. Uh, ESPN has a 30 for 30 documentary on Maya's journey to free Jonathan in their pursuit of justice. This story is a great example of a peacemaker. You see, when we work to bring peace, when we work to bring wholeness, we are following the example set by our Father God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What are you doing to make peace in your world and the world around you? What are you doing to bring wholeness to the context of your reality? What are you doing to bring wholeness to relationships around you? What are you doing to bring completeness to hearts of men and women that you associate with every day are you being intentional are you working towards it are you, are you a peacemaker do you bring unity or do you bring division do you bring calmness or do you bring anxiety do you bring harmony or are you a stirrer of conflict God is a God of peace He is one who makes whole. And he wants us to be like him. And that's why he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to be peacemakers. Help us to create wholeness around us. Help us to bring unity in the midst of division. Help us to bring harmony in the middle of, of conflict. God, help us to bring calmness in context of anxiety. 
Help us to understand that by being a peacemaker, we are reflecting who you are. By bringing wholeness to whatever context we are in, relationships around us, to people around us, we are being like our Father. And God, we want to be like you. We want to show the world who you are. And help us to do that, Father. Bring wholeness where there is incompleteness. Bring calmness in the midst of the storm. Bring unity in division. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.